Hi, my name is Paul Dunay, and welcome to another Buzz Marketing for Technology podcast. Welcome to another Buzz Marketing for Technology podcast. I'm your host, Paul Dunay, and today I'm speaking with Bob Boudet, founding partner of the Bloom Group and author of the book, Thoughts on Thought Leadership. So welcome to the podcast, Bob. Thank you, Paul. Good to be here again. Excellent. So today we're going to explore some best practices ideas for creating demand for professional services. And uh, I wanted to tap into Bob again after reading the book, Thoughts on Thought Leadership, which I loved, by the way. But I wanted to understand better some of his approaches on, you know, writing and the types of projects to choose and best practices for displaying this on the web. So I thought we might just start with the types of projects, right? And one of the things that I thought was very interesting in the book, Bob, was, you know, your approach as far as the types of projects and having the right writer on those projects. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Uh, sure, Paul. One of the uh, one of the mistakes I've seen made in this business, and I guess I've been in this business for 22 years now, in the business of writing for professional services firms. One of the mistakes I see made repeatedly is assigning the the wrong writer to the wrong task. So, in, in my experience, there are four types of writing in professional services, each of which requires a somewhat uh, different writer. Now, um, there are some writers who can do all four types of writing, but in my experience, that is rare. Mm, definitely. So the first uh, type of writing is something we call promotional. And promotional writing is... Uh, kind of copy that you'll find in brochures or web copy or advertising or event invitations. And uh, the, the skills that are required to write this kind of copy are, are, are skills such as uh, brevity, um, uh, writing skills that uh, writers who are almost poetical in the way they phrase things, very lyrical, uh, writers who, who know how to write um, motivational copy, let's call it getting the reader to do something, to, to act on something. So that's the first level of skill. Okay. The second is something we call explanatory. And here, uh, the, the copy for explanatory writing is typically found in fact sheets about a professional firm, in proposals to, to potential clients, uh, in client case studies. Uh, many professional firms are, are uh, running case studies of, of their client work. Accenture, by the way, is, is truly excellent at this. And um, press releases. So explanatory writing uh, requires writing skills that are about logic, clarity, and, and creating a strong narrative. Yeah. Don't require as much expertise about uh, any particular subject matter, uh, but uh, has to be able to explain uh, an approach or, or, or a professional firm, certain professional firm. The third, uh, the third type of writing is something we call educational writing. And educational writing a copy can be found in white papers, in op-eds, in email newsletter articles, in, um, in most of, I guess, what we, we consider to be thought leadership. Right. And uh, here are the writing skills. The writer needs to have some subject matter knowledge, uh, has to be able to structure pretty strong arguments, uh, has to have um, some analytic skills to be able to spot, spot flaws in arguments, uh, 
and needs good interviewing skills because it, it, in, in these cases, the writer is typically doing a number of interviews with the expert, with the professional. Yep. Okay. Uh, however, uh, on, on, on this kind of writing, the content is coming to the writer uh, in pretty good shape. It's fairly well developed. The examples have been, uh, ha have been uh, cited. The, the, the overall argument is pretty well developed. The writer is there more or less to capture the expert's well-formed ideas. Okay. Now, the fourth type of writing is something we call developmental. And um, this is also uh, writing of the thought leadership type. And uh, this writing you typically will find in a Harvard Business Review article or Sloan Management Review article or other management journal article submissions that could be a book, could be a research report. Uh, this type of writing um, is kind of the, 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 the pinnacle of thought leadership, and therefore they're actually um, the, um, the, least, uh, the fewest number of writers who can, who can uh, meet the demands of, of developmental writing. And that's because the writer not only needs to be a, a very strong writer, the writer needs to have deep subject knowledge at the, on the issue at hand, has to be a pretty ri a rigorous thinker, pretty analytical thinker himself or herself, and um, has to, and this is probably the most important skill, has to be able to interact with an expert, with a consultant, a lawyer, an accountant, in a way that gets the expert to, to develop their thinking develop his thinking. Right. Has to be able to challenge him. Has to be able to challenge him, but in a very tactful way. So many externalists I found, uh, including myself early in my career, <laughs> struck out mm. uh, uh, at this because the, the journalistic style, or many journalists, come into interviews in a, in a uh, somewhat of a hostile um, uh, standpoint. And so if, if the writer is working with a consultant and is asking very tough questions that are that are that are phrased and phrases the questions in in a hostile way. Uh, it can it can ruffle the feathers of the professional. Right, right, and I thought that was a really key point that you know putting a journalist on something like this usually they are just all about the facts. Give me the facts, and I'm going to you know formulate my own opinion, and I'm going to take it from there. And that's not necessarily the case. I mean, having a journalist on the developmental stuff, okay, that they may challenge them, but they are not the end uh, thought leader here. It's really the thought leader within the organization and not them. Exactly. And, and, and one other thing you picked up about the journalist is that the journalist is, is typically is used to, in writing his own stories when he works for a paper or a magazine, He'll talk to one expert if the expert doesn't give him what he wants, to, what, what he's looking for. He'll call another expert, and he'll, the journalist will keep dialing experts uh, until he finds some insights. Right. You know, um, when the journalist, the ex-journalist, I guess, at this point, is sitting down with a professional from your firm to help the professional articulate his ideas, the journalist can fall into that pattern of if if the expert is not um, very clear or doesn't have examples or doesn't seem to be saying anything terribly new, the, the externalists can be thinking, um, you know, is this all we got? Uh, can we find an ex another expert in the company? And, you know, for a lot of political reasons that I'm sure you've seen and, 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 and that I've seen working in professional firms, 
you are often, quote-unquote, stuck with the person uh, in front of you. Right. Right. That makes sense. Okay. So, you know, so, so I go back to, to my statement about one, the key skill in developmental uh, writing is the ability to work with an expert in a very tactful way, but also in a way that, gets the, that pushes the expert's thinking. That's good. That's okay. good. All right. So, all right, we, we now have stratified the different layers of, or different levels, excuse me, of thought leadership. And I think that that is very helpful. Now, another approach that you discussed within the book is around the hallmarks of good thought leadership. And I thought that was, you know, worth going through as well because, you know, the, not, not all of that is going to apply to the, all of the four levels, perhaps. That's right. You're right. It doesn't apply to all the writing. So, so in, in those four levels of writing, what I would say is that the first two levels, promotional and explanatory, that is really not what, what we would call thought leadership. We see thought leadership as about uh, the, the, um, the communication of a point of view, meaning the explication of some problem in the world, the roots of, of the problem, and then how to solve it, with the emphasis on the, how to solve it. And um, that kind of writing is really uh, uh, the educational and developmental uh, writing. Yes, definitely. So the, so, so the seven criteria that you're pointing to, Paul, are criteria for thought leadership. And, um, and first let me talk about the, the, the criteria, and then um, I'll discuss how to use it. Okay. So the criteria that we've, we've seen that really exemplifies ideas, from professional firms that get traction in the marketplace, whether it's re-engineering or customer loyalty management, a la Bain in the 90s, or Jim Collins, Bill Alaska, the Great, etc. If you were to look at the big ideas, the big concepts, the blockbuster concepts, I think, as I said in our yep. previous uh, exactly. discussion, um, you'll see seven uh, seven hallmarks or seven things that these these concepts do very well. The first one is novelty. So the ability to show whole new insights on some issue, not just uh, what the roots of the problem are, but more importantly, how to solve it. That is critical. Right, so a fresh look on, the, on a given issue, or even a new issue. Exactly. Yeah, a new issue or a, or a whole different look on, a, on, a, on a, an issue that's been around a long time. Okay. Now, um, most of the material I read in the marketplace uh, strikes out right there. <laughs> you know, it might be an incremental pr improvement on something you, you've read, but it's very hard to find radically uh, new ways of solving uh, business problems, at least uh, in, in, in uh, reading things that I read. The, the second uh, hallmark is, is something we call focus or depth, which is your ability to display a great understanding about the complexity of a problem and how to solve it. Okay, so the, the people that we're trying to reach are senior executives in large companies. And these people uh, typically have advanced degrees, uh, uh, they're paid a lot of money to solve problems, and they have a lot at risk when they bring in a professional firm. A uh, failed project can often mean the, uh, the end of a career for somebody at a company. Mm, that's true. So Therefore, when, when um, our material is being read by our, our prospective clients, they're looking, one of the things they're looking for is, how much does this consulting firm or law firm or accounting firm, 
how much does this professional really know about my problem? Okay, and that's where your ability to to go into depth about uh, to display your understanding of how um, what traditional approaches to solving the problem are and why they fall short. Right. Why those kind of things, uh, you know, win points with the reader. Okay. The third hallmark is something we call relevance, and it's pretty straightforward. Are you addressing a problem that organizations know they have, or if they don't know they have it, how easily can you convince them that they have it? Okay, so if you look back at the, the blockbuster management consulting concept of the 90s reengineering, which took root in the early 90s when the U.S. was in a pretty deep recession, although probably not as deep as the one we're currently in, um, Re-engineering was directed at a very recognizable problem, and that was that American companies were grossly inefficient, and they were losing share to to foreign firms. Right. Okay. Okay. So if you're a lot of the writing I see, or a lot of the ideas that people come to me with, are kind of future futuristic ideas. You know, imagine if in five years or ten years um, this and that happened. And I say, well, you know, there's, there's, um, uh, there's a time and place for those kind of articles. But especially in times like these where companies are worried about the next quarter, uh, I, tell these, I tell such people, I don't think your article is going to be read uh, very closely right now. Right. You know, yeah. Focus on problems, pain points that are here and now. Okay. Um, validity is the, uh, the fourth hallmark of thought leadership in our estimation. Validity is proof that your solution, whatever your prescriptions are, proof that it works. So uh, there are many articles that I've read that talk about, that, that uh, really do express a new idea, show a lot of depth on how to, uh, the roots of the problem and how to solve it, yeah. and then offer no evidence that any company has actually followed this approach and gotten results. So validity is of the seven hallmarks, validity the most important. is the most important. Yeah. Okay. Right. And, and our approach works, and it works well here and here. Right. And how, how many here's do there need to be? I mean, oh, the more the better. The uh, I'd say the rule of thumb is at least three. Yeah. You know, one is an accident. Two. Um, oh well, it worked in two companies. Well, that's still you know maybe that's two accidents. Right. I, I like to say one point on a data gra on a graph doesn't mean anything, right? You need the yeah. second point and the third point to consider it a trend. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, so you know, we like to see, um, you know, five to ten. The more the more evidence you have, the more case studies you have, the more the the, the less arguable your argument. And. Uh, um, you know, I guess a related thing is if you have three examples or five examples or ten examples or twenty, uh, you are far better off in being able to name these companies and name executives uh, in these companies and also point to quantified results. You're far better off doing that than having disguised examples and soft benefits. Very good point, yep. Okay, and so, you know, um, are having dis is having disguised examples better than having no examples? Uh, for sure. Are having named examples better than having disguised examples? Absolutely. Far better. 
All right. D but they don't necessarily need to be all your clients. I mean, can you say, hey, so-and-so stumbled upon this. We, we worked with this company, and we've also seen it in play over there in a corner. Yes. You, you, they do not have to be your clients. They right. can be companies that you've discovered through your research. Yeah. You know, that in effect they're doing what, uh, what, what uh, your professionals are saying companies should do in general. Good. Okay, so that requires research. That requires going out and, and, and digging up examples of companies that have done it. All of that, you know, you've, again, I think this requires putting ourselves in the, in the shoes of the buyer. The buyer there is sitting with a business problem, significant one, and if he's looking at reading your articles or reading your book or looking at your website, you automatically know he needs help. Yeah. And so uh, if, when he reads an article and the article has examples of companies that have taken this approach and had big results, quantified results, uh, that goes a long way. Because we all know how difficult it is to get our clients to go public with some aspect of what we've done for them as a professional firm. Oh, yeah. You know? And uh, to be able to... Uh, put numbers against, uh, you know, the, the, the return on the investment. Okay, that separates, this, this, this uh, notion of validity separates kind of the, uh, this will sound uh, sexist, the men from the boys. Okay. In thought leadership. It separates, uh, if you, you know, I haven't done this, this kind of um, uh, survey or, 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 or scan, but I bet you one out of ten articles that consulting firms publish have validity, have uh, n uh, name companies with quantified results. One out of ten have it. Have it. Yeah, One yeah, out of ten have yeah. it. 90% do not. 90% do not. 90% do not. And uh, if you don't have it, then the reader, the, the, the image in the reader's mind is that's an interesting, that might be an interesting idea, but it looks like theory. And I'm not going to bet my career on your theory. Exactly. Thank, exactly. thank you for coming. I appreciate your opinion. Yeah, yeah. Interesting idea. But right. uh, I guess it doesn't work, or else you'd give me examples. Uh -huh, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess you don't, it may work for some consulting firms, but you don't mention any companies. Therefore, I guess you haven't tried this idea yet on clients. Well, you know what? Even, even more, an objection that I hear a lot is, you know, that, that may work, but eh, it's not going to work in our industry. Right. right. I mean, even though there's no validity example there, yeah. they're like, it's a great theory. I don't think practically it's going to work in healthcare. Right. Right. Uh, you just don't know our industry well. That's right. And and that I think that probably the validity piece helps more with that than anything else. Uh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. But yeah. if you have no proof, then um, you know, then then I think the typical reaction is uh, it's it's theory. It's not proven. Good. Okay. And we we don't buy ideas. We we by proven approaches. And by the way, it, reading a newspaper, I would think people are buying not ideas, but absolutely mm -hmm. proven approaches and maybe one that could work in the next six to 12 months and return an ROI. Exactly. You think? Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure, sure. I mean, I think if you have clients uh, who are willing to let you go public with some aspect of your projects with them and you can point to and they can sign off on quantified, quantifiable benefits, then you have the equivalent of gold in thought leadership marketing. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so the sixth hallmark of thought leadership is something we call practicality, which is uh, okay. You have a new idea. You give me the pr you give me the proof that it works somewhere. 
Now, tell me exactly, kind of walk me through your approach to, to adopting your solution. And this is where uh, the professional firm uh, doesn't need to write a cookbook. You know, first you do this, then you do that, and step 17, you know, three pages later is this. I'm yeah. not talking about that. Sure. Okay. I'm really saying, you know, do you have a, a process that seems to make sense, and do you explain in your article, your book, or your speech, what the typical barriers to adopting that process are, and how you overcome them. Gotcha. Okay. And that kind of writing, uh, that, that helps the readers say, oh, okay, I guess they have implemented this somewhere because um, now they're talking about the barriers to adoption. Now, often the belief is, well, why would we, um, why do we want to tell anybody this is difficult to, to implement? You know, it'll scare them away from us. Yeah. And my answer to that is, if it appears so easy, then the prospect might just say, uh, thanks for the idea, now we'll try to do it ourselves. Yeah, okay, exactly. You know? So, um, it often comes out as a, you know, 19-step test of heaven. Right. Yeah. Right, right. So anyway, the, you know, showing a, a, um, that you have an approach and you understand the barriers to adoption and how to overcome them goes a long way to, to having the client, the prospect, think, these guys must have done it. Yeah. Okay, the, the uh, sixth hallmark is rigor, and that's really about having unassailable logic throughout your point of view, from the problem statement to the solution statement. Gotcha. You know, and um, uh, this is where, by the way, having frameworks uh, can really increase uh, the rigor of one's point of view. So Michael Porter's Five Forces, or the re-engineering concept, uh, almost 20 years ago. His re-engineering will be 20 years old as of next year. Um, They came with a kind of a a worldview about some problem in the world and how to solve it. And the frameworks um, enabled managers to sort out a lot of complexity and understand um, how some issue worked. Uh, I really think that to a great degree thought leadership is about creating a framework that explains some business phenomena uh, where companies are struggling, where those who are succeeding, why, why they are succeeding, and helps, in general, order a uh, create order in a chaotic world. Okay, so I think behind um, every big concept is a core framework that really set everybody's uh, ideas uh, in line with, oh, so this is really, uh, you know, this is really what's behind this issue. A burning platform, so to speak? A burning platform, or yeah. a, I'll give you an example. The, in re-engineering, we had uh, a framework that we called the business diamond. And it, w- it looked like a baseball diamond. It showed the, uh, the interplay between information technology and business processes and corporate culture and jobs and skills. And it showed the connection between those elements. And, uh, you know, you, you, you couldn't just um, uh, build uh, new information systems. Uh, they had to enable new business processes, and if you had new business processes, that changed the jobs uh, and, the, and the structure of an organization. 
and uh, for people to uh, excel in their jobs, the company needed new values and uh, incentives and other management systems, and it was all self-reinforcing. So you began to see that to re-engineer uh, a process, you had to do a number of things, not just do process redesigns. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. And the seventh hallmark is clarity. And this is often where the writer, um, this is where the writer uh, needs to come in. Why professional firms need writers to explain the ideas of their very smart people. The ability to explain your point of view in your client's language, not the language of a consultant or an accountant or a lawyer, is absolutely critical. It's also the reason why most best-selling books, business books, are ghostwritten. Mm, that's a good point. Okay, so, you know, the, and, I, and we will often hear from a, a, a professional, oh, no, I can write it myself. Uh, you know, when I talk to uh, clients about this, they really get it. They, you know, uh, the difference between presenting an idea in person and presenting an idea in print is that the reader of a, of a print um, publication, uh, the, the author doesn't get a chance to answer questions the, the reader has about the, the publication. The, the, the print publication can't talk back. In a one-on-one -on -one discussion, a consultant um, can uh, he can kind of check the uh, you know if people are are getting it or people going to ask him questions, and he can explain himself. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So the you know someone's uh, interpersonal communications, I would argue, uh, someone with strong interpersonal communications doesn't necessarily uh, equate to a person with strong writing communications. So what we got is really four types of writing projects, the promotional, the explanatory, the educational, and the developmental. And then when it comes to educational and developmental, you've given us seven key things to think about. You know, focusing on a single message, the novelty of the, me of the argument, does it break some unique ground, et cetera, uh, the relevance, does it meet a critical need at the customer level, the validity of that argument, this is the key point, you know, case studies, a minimum of three is what you're suggesting, so it's not accidental, uh, which I really like that. The practicality, do you have an approach that is, you know, baked and, and is, you know, not a hundred steps long? And the rigor of the argument, the tight, consistent logic, and the clarity of the argument around it. Does that make sense? That's right. Perfect. All right, Bob, well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And for our listeners, now it's your turn. Please let us know if you have any secrets or any thoughts that you have on thought leadership. We'd love to continue this conversation with you, and we'll be glad to keep it going with you online. We'll be back again next week with another podcast, so thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to having you back next week on another Buzz Marketing for Technology podcast.